Welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's about the Bills and the beer. Here's your host, John Murphy. Well, hello there, and welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. This is our seventh podcast. My name is John Murphy. Happy to have you with us here this week. We talk about the Bills and the beer on this podcast. And actually, in this case, the beer may be more interesting to talk about than the Buffalo Bills. Bills have lost two in a row now. They lost to a couple of playoff caliber teams, no doubt, the Titans and the Chiefs. They lost one at home, one on the road, but now they're four and two. They've got a long way to go this season. This podcast, we'll talk about the Bills with my good friend Vic Carucci, Buffalo News beat reporter, covers the Bills. I've known him for more than 40 years. He's in his fifth decade covering the National Football League. He's back in Buffalo after a stint working with NFL.com and ClevelandBrowns.com. He's a native of central New York. He returned to Buffalo six years ago, 2014. I think I played a role in it. Um, I ran into Vic at a party for Andre Reid in Canton, Ohio, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, upon Andre's uh, induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Got talking to Vic about an opening at the Buffalo News covering pro football. I said, you got to come home. you got to do this, Vic. I know he had, at least he was in the process, I think, of having grandchildren locally here in the Buffalo area. And I didn't twist his arm, but I think I played a role in it. And now he's back. He's been back for six years doing a great job with the Buffalo News. We're going to talk with Vic about uh, the Bills' two losses, their 4-2 and two record, and what lies ahead, both uh, short-term and long-term for the team. Uh, stadium plans, coronavirus. Is the stadium still viable with all the economic pressures on state and local governments? We'll talk with Vic about that. We're going to talk with beer with another central New York uh, resident, David Hoyne of Kitty Hoyne's Irish Pub in Syracuse, Armory Square, downtown Syracuse. David is a native of Kilkenny, Ireland, just like Sullivan's. That's where Sullivan's is brewed. Kitty Hoyne was his mother's name, and he named his pub after his mom 21 years ago in downtown Syracuse. They've been going strong ever since. They pour Sullivan's there. We'll talk with David about what makes a good Irish pub. We'll talk about the importance of beer presentation. And we'll talk with him about Kitty Hoyne's Irish Pub in Syracuse. That's coming up in our third segment in this podcast. We'll start with the Bills, though, and their discouraging loss to the Kansas City Chiefs last Monday night. Kansas City established themselves, I guess reestablished themselves, as a championship-caliber team. They have answers on offense. What do you want to do? You want to take away their passing game? You want to keep Tyreek Hill in check? Fine, go ahead, do that. They can run it. They've got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He ran wild against the Bills. He was sensational. And oh, by the way, uh, they're going to get better too in a couple of weeks when they get the addition Le'Veon Bell to their running attack. they got quarterback Patrick Mahomes, by far the best quarterback going right now, best in the game. Now, he did not put on a show through the air as a passer against the Bills. It was a tough night to throw, but I thought Patrick Mahomes was in total command of that offense, total command of that game. He ran it himself sometimes. He made the right decisions, when to throw, when to run. I thought Patrick Mahomes established himself, reestablished himself as the best in the game. Bills came up way short against Kansas City's running attack. The run defense for Buffalo, non-existent. Focused on the pass, but they were awful against the run. Missing tackles, they are getting blown out at the line of scrimmage. Before the game, Sean McDermott made an interesting decision, decided to bench Trent Murphy and Harrison Phillips. Now, neither one had been playing that well, but they were both regulars, starters in some cases, on the defensive line. And I think, in retrospect, they were clearly better than the guys who replaced them in Monday night's lineup, Brian Cox Jr. and Justin Zimmer. Yeah, Zimmer had some moments, 
But I thought that was a decision that backfired. It didn't cost them the game or anything, but I just thought it was an interesting decision and attempt to shake things up, McDermott said, and it went the wrong way. So now the Bills are ranked 25th in the league in run defense. That is just not sustainable. They're 24th against the pass. That's not good either. What do they do? Player moves? Can they get at least one good defensive lineman? Well, the trade deadline is a couple of weeks away, November 3rd. They have to do something, right? Josh Allen, I think, failed in his big matchup against Patrick Mahomes, struggled with accuracy early on, the passes in the rain, never recovered. Usually Josh doesn't fold in in big game atmospheres. I think back to the Pittsburgh game Sunday night football last December. He played great, but he played poorly Monday night for the most part. Buffalo's rushing attack it would help Josh a lot if they could run the ball consistently. Buffalo is ranked 27th, 27th in the league in rushing yards. They got virtually nothing going on the ground against Kansas City. Singletary, Zach Moss, pedestrian at best, right? The O-line's not helping much at all. There are issues all over for the Buffalo Bills, but here's the good news. There's a long way to go. A long way to go. Now, Kansas City is a Super Bowl-caliber team again this year, and Buffalo is not. Not right now, anyway. The Chiefs, though, have answers for whatever you want to do against them. The Bills have more questions than answers, but they are going to get better. They are. They'll get better. Buffalo likely to have six or at least five wins by midseason. They're still on pace for a double-digit win season, the possible AFC East Division title, and a run into the playoffs. We'll see how it plays out. It's going to be a very, very interesting rest of the season for the Bills. We're going to talk more about the Bills next up on the podcast. We'll talk with Vic Carucci of the Buffalo News. Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff, our guest is a good friend of mine. I've known him for decades now. He is in his fifth decade of covering the NFL. He reports for the Buffalo News on the Buffalo Bills. He is a radio co-host on Sirius XM NFL Radio. He's a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame Selection Committee. Happy to have my good buddy Vic Carucci on with us. Hello, Vic. How are you? Murph, I'm great and love doing this with you always. You know, I was thinking we don't talk much this year because of circumstances. It's it's kind of sad. It's kind of an outgrowth of the COVID uh, issue, but uh, we don't get together. We don't see each other on Wednesdays or game days at the stadium anymore. It's it's not good. That part is awful. The the whole thing's awful, and it's awful for more serious reasons than that. But that is a function of it, and uh, I'm not happy that uh, I I don't get to see – uh, not only a great friend, which you've been, and, and Mary, your whole family and ours, uh, for a long, long time, but it's also the exchange of ideas and perspective. Like, it, in many ways, I mean, I hate this feeling sometimes of being in a vacuum when you're, when you're paying attention to something like, again, the Bills, the NFL, because often you, you get, not often, all the time, you get greater thoughts when you share and talk. And I know we can text and, uh, and talk on the phone or whatever, but it's still not the same as sitting in the, the press box lounge or, you know, uh, uh, halftime when, when we look at each other and, you know, you kind of can get, sometimes you don't even have to say words. Right. You, just can communicate, you communicate yeah. with looks. So, yeah. You know, there's that, and that's missing in the COVID era, but there's much more to it. It's also day-to-day contact or at least week-to-week contact with, with the players and coaches themselves. And they do a great job making people available on Zoom calls and, and video news conferences. But I think there's something missing. I don't get the sense that – I'll tell you the truth. I don't feel like I know this team as well as any team in the last several decades here. It's so interesting you said that. I, I mentioned this to my wife, Rhonda, uh, just today. I said – there are, and in the aftermath of a game like Monday nights, where 
you a lot looked wrong in, in yeah. terms of I mean you know the outcome maybe was predictable was predictable at least from my standpoint and I, I'm sure I had a lot of company there but what leads to that and and the certain breakdowns or uh, did we see even more in the way of what could be concerning about the the team's uh, personality and how it handled things when you're in the locker room on a regular basis you get a feel for the guys. That's what it's for. Granted, you don't get to know people intimately and deeply, even in those one hour or so interludes in the locker room, but you get a feel for the atmosphere and you can get time uh, to take aside somebody, uh, the veterans who, who have a good uh, finger on the pulse. When you're just doing, when you're just having conversations as we are now, uh, it's nice that they're available, but those are, are five and 10 minutes on the opposite sides of a screen. It, it doesn't really give you a feel for the, for the people at all. See if you agree with this. It seems to me there's more than just Q&A. I ask a question, you give me an answer. I'm talking about uh, reporters and players. There's also looks and glances and, and body language at play that none of us are, are privy to anymore. It's kinda, it, it makes it more difficult, I think. Well, it's, I think the word is difficult, but it also is incomplete. Um, it, it's our jobs, and, and you and I have done this a long time, and, and exactly what you're pointing to is the essence, I think, of this job. Why? What's journalism? It's, it's the opportunity to really uh, dive into your subject. And, yes, you do a fair amount of research that, is, it, that involves uh, looking things up, uh, Internet, uh, whatever, reading, books, what, uh, uh, again, phone calls and, and texts and follow-ups all go into a story, but at some point, at every point, there should be this human contact and this ability to sort of read, just as you, you and I talk, uh, not, not so much in this forum, but, but we, and we also have a lot of history, but when you don't have history, which is mostly the case uh, when, you're dealing, when you're dealing with uh, player interviews and even coach interviews and, and getting to know that philosophy, I mean, for instance, Sean McDermott. I mean, I feel I have a good handle on what he does or how he thinks into his fourth NFL season, but I haven't been face-to-face, I mean, in person with Sean in, what, eight months now or or closer to nine. And that's a problem. That's a problem. That's a problem. He's the face and voice of that football team. Brandon Bean, same way. Their decisions and thought processes, I feel like I would know them better as it relates to 2020 bills uh, than I do now. Yeah. And it's an issue now because they're a pretty good team. And yes, they're coming off the difficult loss Monday night to the Kansas city chiefs, but they're four and two. I think there are much bigger things ahead for them. Do you agree? I, I think Monday night's loss was a tough one, a difficult one, maybe a predictable one, but still there are good things lying ahead for the 2020 bills. I think. Yeah. Uh, I, there's two ways I've, I've kind of looked at this, John, number one, uh, these back-to-back losses on big stages against what we can call, I think, pretty safely, elite AFC teams. I, I don't know if Tennessee is truly as elite as the Chiefs are. I wouldn't say that, but I think they're they're really good. And I think they're going to have something to say, as they did last year, with who represents the AFC uh, in the Super Bowl. Um, and the Bills faltering against both of those teams and, and faltering badly and playing their their Obviously, they're two worst games of the season, but two of their worst games in a while. Uh, I, I guess you could, you know, you certainly could put the playoff game at Houston in that category. But big stage games where they have faltered against good opponent is is telling about where the Bills are. But yes, let's look ahead. 
look at the division. You've got the Jets coming up and worst team maybe in forever in the NFL uh, on their way possibly to an 0-16 season and all kinds of implosion and all of that. Um, it could also make them a, a dangerous team if you, if you go into those games assuming you're, you're going to win, but I'm making that assumption now. Uh, New England looks like it, certainly a very different team without Brady, but they're also a team that is well-coached but still finding its way with new people and hurt people and probably not the de- – not probably. They don't have the depth uh, that, they, that they, I think, need to make any kind of uh, real push for the division. So the division still looks very winnable for the Bills. The question becomes how much more do you see them doing once they get to the postseason uh, on the assumption that they're there? And are some of the problems that they've shown these last two games, are they reflective of – is things that can be fixed before the year is over or do they become a bigger concern? It seems to me that in their short-term look at winning in the division, they've got enough to do that. Put them up against who they have to beat to go to make this deep playoff run. I think a lot of us talked about that's very much in doubt for me. Yeah. A lot of folks talked about Josh Allen as a MVP candidate uh, after the first four weeks. He's kind of crashed and burned the last two weeks. He's somewhere in, in between there, isn't he? I, um, and I wonder what you see that maybe a common thread between what the Titans and the Chiefs did to, to slow, uh, you know, the Josh Allen bandwagon down a little bit. Yeah, well, I, I was on that MVP bandwagon as much as anybody. Wrote it, said it, I'll own it. Uh, and I don't back away from the, the great talent I saw there or the strides that I still believe he made. Now, when he's making those strides, I made the assumption – probably a mistake, but I made the assumption that he could, you, 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 uh, for to use a football term, keep him ahead of the sticks in the, in the sense that whatever, every week, somebody's going to figure something out about him and you've got to have a counter move to that. That's what I haven't seen these last two weeks necessarily. I feel like when he drops back, the, the picture he's seeing doesn't look as clean as it was for him through four games and that's understandable. Tennessee's got a really good defense and an excellent defensive-oriented head coach in Mike Vrabel, and they schemed in many ways uh, to take advantage of his strengths. Obviously, the Chiefs did a lot of the same thing. Uh, they don't have the talent at, at defensive back to keep up with those receivers. There were a lot of P.I. calls as a result. I think some of those were a little questionable, and the Bills should be thankful that they got what they got. Um, but – it looks like, and here's the other thing. It looked to me like on both big stage moments, Josh Allen didn't look like the confident guy that I had seen for four games. That my feel on his body language, on the way he handled himself, was my biggest concern of all. I, I think the mechanical part of what Josh does, the accuracy things, you can you can question those, but I think those can can come back because he's made. That to me is more of a discipline and going back to whatever he was taught that got him to a place where he was showing greater accuracy through those four games. The concern is psychologically, 
does he turn into the guy we saw after uh, the, was it the New England game? Was it the first New England game last year where he threw those interceptions and, and then said he was pulling his horns in because he was afraid to make a mistake. You can't have that Josh. Allen. Right. Before we turn our attention to the defense and there's a lot to talk about the Buffalo defense, your thoughts on the struggles of the bills running game so far. And it's been a really a through the first six games, they have not been a dominant, even close to dominant running team. What do you think is going on there? Yeah, well, first, that is a problem for Josh Allen, too. Uh, I mean, absent that and putting so much on him, it's it's basically unfair, and it does lead to the kinds of problems you're going to see these last two weeks against better teams, better defenses. Why isn't it going? I, I don't know. I, I thought Devin Singletary, watching him, even without great production uh, through the first four games, showed – uh, I thought better vision, better feel in his running than I saw as a rookie. Uh, I, I do think that there is an, ins- an insistence on having him run between the tackles. And I'm not, I don't think that's his strength at all. I think you want him on the outside. You want him to be more of that perim- perimeter explosive player that I, that he can be and is, um, and then have the, the, the dynamic of Zach Moss powering inside. Now Moss had the toe injury and that, that slowed things up. But you've got to get them both going. It's got to be a collective thing there. And then the second part of it is, is this, is this offensive line minus John Feliciano uh, anywhere near as physical as it needs to be? I do think that will make a huge difference if he can be back in there in the form that he was at his best. I'm not suggesting he's an all-pro, but he's nasty. He's physical. And they're missing that uh, from, from the interior. And uh, – having a Cody Ford in there who I think is far more uh, a, a finesse kind of pass protector guy uh, and, and comes from, you know, that kind of offense. And then I think when you look at the, uh, the exterior, uh, Deion Dawkins, so forth, I think they're more nimble footed players who give you better pass pro work generally than they do that power line. They let, let's, let's look at last uh, Monday night. You saw the Kansas city chiefs, physically dominate the Bills up front. I know we'll talk about the defense, but that line is the kind of line that gives you a, a, a run game that can go to the tune of 245 yeah. yards. Probably shouldn't have been that much. That's a de- some defensive problems there. But, but, John, physically, that's what the plow horse, looks, plow horse mentality looks like. And even when they lost guys, they had that. The Bills aren't that. At their best, they're not going to be that. All right, so now the defense, and, and most of their defensive problems start right up front, right? Front four, defensive line, don't you think? I, I would say we yes. <laughs> I, I'd say they start there, but let's talk front seven. Uh, Matt Milano is, is uh, we've seen him be a superb linebacker. His absence should be felt, should it have been felt as much as it was uh, in both games, but especially, I think, against the Chiefs. It, it was felt, and – they, they knew uh, without him in there, they being the Chiefs, knew uh, there were certain ways they could exploit the Bills, both in terms of the run and the pass. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds, who looks to be, to me, a guy, yeah, he can cover ground. And, yes, he will, he will get, make some tackles, a lot of them, but they're way away from the line of scrimmage, and that's not helpful. I'm, you know, in terms of plugging holes and, and filling gaps, you're not seeing that. A.J. Klein is a guy. He's, he's a solid veteran player, but he's not a guy you want to rely on for an entire game. And we saw 
the downside of that. So depth at linebacker is a problem to go along with what we're not seeing up front. And look, they made some, I call desperate move here. Trent Murphy, who had started five games is inactive. Harrison Phillips, a guy that you situationally put in. I also made three, I believe of the first uh, starts uh, for them uh, in five games. He was, uh, he was uh, taken out of the lineup and it, it looked like desperate to desperate attempt to shake things up. Yeah. And it, 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 I, I'm not going to, I don't think it worked. And I also, yeah, I hear what Sean said about the scheme being, well, we'll keep linebackers and safeties deep enough and understand we're sacrificing that first level of run game. But the first level became second level and third level because mm-hmm. guys, guys were missing tackles. If you're going to play that kind of defense, somebody's got to make a stop within the first five yards. And obviously we didn't see that happen. Vic Carucci of the Buffalo News. Let me switch gears a little bit and talk about long-term uh, issue, Vic, and that's a stadium for the Buffalo Bills in the future. Um, there's no doubt that COVID and the economic downturn has, has had an impact on that. With a couple of years left on the current stadium lease, uh, nobody's talking about a new stadium or a new stadium lease right now, uh, at least publicly. I wonder if there, you think there's things going on beneath the surface, behind the scenes on that. I would have to think yes. Um, with enough people in the hierarchy of the bills who are assigned to look at these long-term projects, as important as this is is economically for the bills for the for the community, for sure those wheels are turning probably very slowly in the background. And and of course our our current climate of business being what it is would would not. Uh, make you think that anything in the very near future uh, is going to happen, but you can't, you can't be oblivious or, or sit back and say, we're fine for the foreseeable future with what we have, because that's not the case. Now, it, it, you know, when are we going to feel, when, when will there be a time, this plays into it too, when will there be a time when we're perfectly comfortable filling stadiums? Because anything you talk about regarding a new facility and, and how it's going to get paid for and all of that factors in the attraction, the, the numbers of, of people that come in for football games, for other events. And, uh, and, and we don't have any sense of when we're going to have that quote normal time again. I'm hopeful as you are, but I, I can't feel anything. I can't say, well, 2021 will be that year or 2022. So for the meantime, uh, they stay where they are. They make the best of it as a studio, which is what it is, a gigantic TV studio. It probably suffices. It's all you need for the time being. You're not bringing people in there. Uh, you're, you're not worrying about the structural soundness in that regard. And there are, you know, those were some of the questions. But more importantly, what a new stadium is supposed to be is a revenue generator. It's supposed to give you those opportunities. Do we have and will we have when we, when we come out on the other side, of, of COVID life, will this area uh, have enough ability to support that in ways that just go beyond putting the quote, regular paid attendance fans in the seats, the suites, the, you know, all the, the club seating, all that, all that premier stuff, John, that, you know, pays the bills on stuff like this. And, um, and, and I, I don't, I don't know that there can be a, I don't know that there's any solution sitting there. And then on top of all that is the government workings back and forth. Are you, are, how much level of cooperation do you get there? How far does the state extend itself 
to help out with, with this project because it's going to take public and private money. And I, I, I certainly think that where the, where the ownership is right now, the Pagulas, uh, my guess would be that where they, where they were quick to write a check to put a beautiful state-of-the-art training facility in place, weight, weight facility, all that, I don't know how fast those checks are going to be written anytime soon. And that's not because I know their finances. Maybe, maybe that I'm talking right through my ear on that, but I, I don't, I would guess it, it's, it's not anything that's happening soon. I got two more quick questions about yeah, the stadium yeah. for you. How much you've written about this extensively in years past, how much pressure is generated by other NFL owners towards the Pagoulas to get a new place built? And how much does that matter? Do you think to the Pagoulas? Well, the pressure is is a league wide thing. It's not just the owners. It's certainly Roger Goodell. It's it's the hierarchy of the league, uh, looking at its big the the suits as we like to call them, right? Who make these business decisions? Who try to look at it on a you know at a ten thousand or thirty thousand foot from a ten thousand thirty thousand foot perspective and say you know you're an NFL team. You've got to fit this model. I mean, there's a reason the Chargers are not in San Diego and are part of the SoFi uh, incredible complex out in Los Angeles. There's a reason the Raiders who had had that classic existence in Oakland are now in Las Vegas in yet another state-of-the-art, beautiful, incredible stadium. There's a reason there's MetLife Stadium in New Jersey, AT&T. Go down the list and the domes in Atlanta and uh, Minneapolis. So my point is that Somewhere along the line, you have to uh, be not necessarily at pace with those teams, but you need to be that gap, that, that revenue gap that the, the brand new places create and uh, a, a Bill Stadium circa 1973 uh, with upgrades in be, you know, between 73 and now, uh, where it lacks. It, it, you've you've got to do some things to at least bring it up somewhere. You're not getting there. And we've heard Terry Pagula say that there has to be a Bills version of it. Uh, but but how how much can the league? How long can the league go with knowing that you've got this kind of franchise lagging behind on the finances? Because as you well know, John, the owners it's a shared revenue uh, formula in the NFL. And when you're not uh, pulling your weight in that regard, that's an issue. But it does take us back to what I said at the outset. Right now, you're not sharing much in the way – you're not sharing anything, for the most part, in fan revenue. Um, I know you can't assume that's going to be the case forever. So along those lines, yeah, the pressure I think would exist, and I think it would matter. I I can't imagine Terry and Kim Pagula as members of that club of NFL owners uh, sit there and say – guys, you know, we're fine with what we're doing because they're not. Vic, uh, you are a Pro Football Hall of Fame elector, and you also are uh, close to being a Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, honoree with uh, your finalists. You were finalists for the Dick McCann Award, which goes to the, uh, what, the sports writer who uh, covers, uh, has excellence in covering a particular team, right? Our our old friend Larry Felser was a winner of that years and years ago. Yes, he was. Uh, it's a treme- it was a tremendous honor to be uh, to be a, a, a finalist for that, and um, I, I that's I mean that my, my that was great uh, a great feeling. And by the way, I was 
very happy for the family of Don Banks. He, he ended up winning. Uh, Don's been a longtime friend. He was a great writer for many years, different newspapers and Sports Illustrated, uh, and, uh, and had just taken a job in Las Vegas and, uh, and passed away uh, a, a year ago summer in, in Canton. We were together in Canton, and he uh, – uh, it, so it was so sad, but, but I'm, I'm happy for his family, and I'm, and I'm, again, thrilled to just get that much recognition so it, 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 it's, I'm blessed. <laughs> I'm blessed. Coming. You know, it's coming. It's coming down the pike. Vic, thanks for this. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. My pleasure, John. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with your host, John Murphy. Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. We're joined by a very special guest. He is the proprietor of Kitty Hoyne's Irish Pub in Syracuse. David Hoyne is our guest. David, good to be with you. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks, Murph. Yeah, great to meet you, too. Glad you to are a here. native of uh, Kilkenny County, of a town called Thomastown, Thomaston in uh, Kilkenny County. Tell us what that place is like and what it was like That's growing right. up there. Uh, Thomastown, I left there in 1985, probably had a population of about maybe 1,500 people. It's probably doubled maybe since. Um, small town, about 10 miles from Kilkenny itself. Uh, a lot of farming country. Uh, we, had a, we, we had a family-run business back there, Four uh, different businesses within the one typical Irish business, uh, grocery, bar, hardware, and undertaking business. So we kind of covered all, all the ends on there, you know. Well, those but, four uh, businesses in one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We pretty much christened you, and then we put you in the ground. So. And everything <laughs> in, be- in between, you know. It was, yeah, it, it was crazy. We used to sell, pretty much sell anything, you know, and our farmers and different people would actually come in and have a pint and a half one and buy some groceries and the hardware and off they went home, you know? And hopefully didn't use the uh, undertaking business right away. Well, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) David, tell me about uh, your 10 miles from Kilkenny, the home of Sullivan's Brewing. What kind of a place is uh, Kilkenny? Kilkenny is a really beautiful old medieval city. Uh, you can go back in for thousands of uh, of uh, years back in Kilkenny. Uh, used to be the home of of uh, Parliament. The uh, at uh, one stage, uh, they don't allow really any neon signs on their shop fronts. Great flowers in the streets. The uh, people of Kilkenny are obviously diehard hurling fans and supporters just like the Buffalo Bills fans are as well. You know, that's what you grow up with. And luckily enough, Kilkenny has been very, uh, very successful on the uh, hurling front. And hopefully the Bills will be this year. Yeah. Um, Tell me about Kilkenny as a brewing town and and the brewing heritage in uh, Kilkenny that Sullivan spuddles up on these days. Yeah, obviously everybody's familiar with Smithix, you know, but Sullivan, certainly that's, that's uh, where it started. Funnily enough, my, my father used to be an auctioneer and uh, he was uh, fr- friendly with the older Mr. Smithix, who was a uh, lawyer barrister back in Kil- Kilkenny. So, um, so it goes back years for us as well, you know. Uh, I mean, bars back home, I remember when I was a young uh, kid, we had a bottling store, which... So the actual beer came in wooden kegs. You you had your own bottles with your own labels as well. Well, it was Guinness maybe labels, but with your name on them. You know, I remember you know starting off young, seeing that 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 whole operation. 
Um, but Kilkenny, uh, yes, uh, we used to have a Guinness brewery there. No longer there uh, now, so it's great that Sullivan's is back brewing back in Kilkenny. Do you have much contact with folks back that way, Kilkenny County? And I wonder what they oh, say yeah. about what do they say about the impact that Sullivan's has had just getting started up in the last uh, four years or so there? Yeah, I I have four of my older brothers still actually living back in Kilkenny, so I'm normally in a uh, conversation with them quite a lot. I follow the uh, Kilkenny people, which is the local newspaper and obviously social uh, media. One of the bigger, I think, um, sellers of Sullivan's is a pub right on the bridge looking over the castle there. Um, uh, oh boy, Brendan Tracy. I can't even think of it now. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, I used to play hurling with, uh, with uh, Brendan back in the day and uh, Kilkenny has been very supportive with their pubs buying Sullivan's. Um, people really enjoy it, which I do certainly myself and the addition of the tap room there with the pizzas and the little huts that they have being, being COVID responsible. I mean, it's excellent, you know. David Hoyne, our guest from uh, Kitty Hoyne's Irish pub in Syracuse. What brought you to the United States and how old were you when you made the move here, David? Sure. I moved in 85. I was 22. Uh, came in September, came with a friend of mine. We moved to Washington, D.C., said I'd stay till Christmas time. And here we are. I met my <laughs> wife early on, maybe uh, after a couple of uh, years back in D.C. She's from Syracuse. And um, we got married in, in uh, 91, moved back to Ireland for a year. I was selling plumbing supplies that we, we had imported from the States, but I was the actual one that didn't settle down and looked to move back, uh, moved back to DC. And then obviously wanted to start a pub. And the only way you can do uh, that is if you have a good family support. So we moved up to Syracuse and opened up Kitty Hoynes, which is named after my mom in 1999. And uh, 21 years later, we're still here going, going strong. I wonder why you say obviously wanted to start a pub. Why is that obvious, dude? Well, just with my background, you know, uh, just being in the pub business back home, you know, hospitality, I feel, is a, is a, is a good niche for, for myself. I enjoy people very much, want to see them happy. You know, we might not be the best in town, but hopefully we are your favorite place in town, you know. Favorite is pretty good, I think, yeah. always, you know. So whatever kind of celebration, you know, uh, we are uh, lucky here with our, with our premises, how it looks, the ambience of it. And, uh, and you know, we, we are very much part of the com community here and always started out like that to be actually part of it, to make David, a difference. I've, I've been to Kitty Hoynes uh, in Armory Square in Syracuse, but I'm a Syracuse University graduate from the late 70s. There's no such thing as Armory Square. There was nothing down no, there. No, that's right. That's what right. What happened to that area in that era from the late 70s to 1990s when you opened up? What got that place going? Yeah, I think it was, you know, the division of, I think, I think it was Mayor Young at the time and obviously some developers and saw, you know, what a unique area that they had. It was old warehouses and buildings, kind of leveled quite a lot of those and then also refurbished quite quite a lot of them and the actual beauty about Armory Square is you have about maybe 20 different entities restaurants bars but they're all totally different so you could you could eat for 20 days and not eat eat the same style of food so I think that 
that is great. And it's easy walkable. There's hotels, there's a museum, you know, different things. So we are very lucky. So obviously you've been lucky and been fortunate. 21 years you've been in business. Tell me about what you tried to create at Kenny Hoynes and why it has been so successful. The, the ambience, and we'll get to the food and drink, but what you've tried to set up there in terms of the building itself. Yeah, we like to call it a, a traditional Irish Irish pub. You know, it's uh, almost feels feels like it's a pub in Dublin. It's got high ceilings, nicely tiled floors, dark dark mahogany uh, um, paneling, and uh, just a vibe itself that it's centered right around the bar. You know, you have your you have your draft lineup r- right there. We 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 much we much prefer to sell draft than we do bottles. Um, we have music or used to have music temporarily, uh, shut off from that right now, but, uh, music Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and, um, a real, a real Irish, Irish pub gets going at uh, nighttime when you have some music, whether it's a traditional session or a band, etc. So, um, but yeah, it, it's, well, it's about the people making them feel comfortable. They actually, your actual customers, I think create that environment that that happy place that you're in obviously our staff goes out of our way to make sure that people are happy uh if we don't have it for you we might go 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 next door and get it for you we don't carry coke coke products but hey if you really want to coke that bad we will actually (laughs) get it for you so it's that kind of you know we we want to see you happy you talk about the the music at kitty hoynes mike my uh, older son, Mark, is a graduate of Lemoyne College there in Syracuse, and that's the first thing he said about Kitty Hoynes. He said, we used to go there and, and for the music all the time. It's, it obviously was a, a big success there, huh? Absolutely. We used to get bands from, well, uh, we used to have a couple from uh, Buffalo. Um, we have people coming from Canada, Ireland, wherever we could, really, you know. It's a small kind of bar, but yet – People, people used to pack in and, uh, and uh, really enjoyed the actual music. And we never had any hassle to this day. And I think that's just a testament to our customers that we have. And just, you know, pe- people that, people that want to have a good time, you can see once they walk in the door, we set the tone early, say good morning, good night, whatever it is, and try and get people happy. Now tell me about the food menu at Kitty Horns. Yeah, so we go back. Damien, our chef, has been with us for probably 20 and a half of those 21 years, which is strange in this business. But Damien kind of scratch, scratch made food. We did take him to Ireland about 10 years ago uh, so as he could really see firsthand what is going on over there with food. Um, you know, uh, Irish food, obviously you have your staples like fish and chips and shepherd's pie and different things like that, bangers and mash. But we source whatever Irish stuff that we can, whether it's Irish cheeses and uh, different things, meats and stuff. And uh, then Damien kind of puts his own spin on it as well and tries to, you know, whether you're using Sullivan's red ale as kind of what you're cooking off with, making your onion soup out of it, et cetera. So it's, it, it's, uh, he does a great job for us. I mean, it's solid food, um, you know, scratch made, um, Featured on diners, drive-ins, and dives maybe six years ago with our uh, meatloaf. So he puts he puts uh, lamb, beef, and pork in that, and also some Irish white white pudding also. So again, a total different spin on things. 
and the beer menu, David. And, and tell me, uh, are you pouring all three versions of Sullivan's Ale, or what are you pouring? We are not. We're so we're so we're pouring Sullivan's Maltings, the you know the actual red ale, and then the canned uh, golden ale uh, as well. Um, we haven't ventured into the stout game yet. Uh, we have kind of reduced our taps down a little bit because of COVID, but uh, hopefully in the future, um, you know, the Sullivan sales rep there, Matt, is banging my door down every day. So, but uh, yeah, so uh, our focus is at draft because I think that's how the how the brewer meant the beer to be drank. If you can get draft lines that are nice and clean, refrigerated properly, and people take take a uh, care about washing their actual glassware. I think that is the best way to drink a good pint of Maltings Ale, so. You, you touched on some of the things that you mentioned at a, at a Sullivan's uh, Brewing Company kind of a sales seminar about three months ago. We had it here in Buffalo. You joined us then. Yep. Tell, tell me about that, the presentation of, of uh, not just Sullivan's, but all the beers and ales that you have there and, and why that's so important to a place like Giddy Owings. Yeah, I think it goes starts off with with uh, the actual delivery. You know that 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 hopefully that that the beer is down there for three or four days, just sitting there. You know, chilling out nicely. Uh, we make sure that our uh, draft lines are cleaned every uh, two weeks. We have the proper gas. We are actually lucky that our that our cooler is right underneath the bar, so the so the length of draft line isn't. Uh, very long. We actually replace our draft lines probably every number of uh, of uh, years. And then presentation, yes, the right glassware. I think you know you want to you want to pour it in uh, the right glass. You want to turn that Sullivan's name facing facing the actual guest, and um, you actually drink with your eyes. I think as well. If it looks good, well, it's going to taste good. I think if if everything else is right. That's great points. David, you mentioned and a couple of times the challenges that you face in the, in the COVID era now. And yeah. how are you doing with that? And what, what's the biggest hurdle that you've had to overcome? Yeah, we never shut down March 14th. You know, when everybody was asked, asked uh, by the state, uh, you know, we went to carry out, you know, that actually had its own challenge because it was right around St. Patrick's Day. And, you know, you're not, you're not ready for it because, you know, the actual, we, we didn't do a huge takeout business back then, but we, we adapted. Then we opened June 12th uh, for indoor dining. We're at 50% capacity. I think the man above kind of took care of summer this year. It, it was the best summer that has been on uh, record. I think Buffalo probably the actual same. Um, so that certainly has uh, helped because people wanted, wanted to be outdoors. That's what the state is telling us. So kind of a little nervous moving on, moving on here, uh, going indoors, even though, you know, we, we, we follow every guideline. We follow what the state wants, wants us to do with our air filtration system. We have added different things to that also, uh, in, indoors are safe to uh, come into, especially at 50% capacity. And um, so it'll be interesting with our uh, winters coming along here upstate, right? You know, I don't, you know, if you have a parking lot, a tent, I'm sure can get you by for a while. But once we get into the bad stuff, uh, um, 
it'll be interesting to see. So we'll have to come up with some different ideas, right? Yeah. You mentioned, yeah. Uh, well, I mentioned how I spent uh, my college years in Syracuse, and I always used to think how Syracuse was like a slightly smaller version of Buffalo. There are similarities, and, and there's similar cultures, aren't they, that make an Irish pub work? Uh, you know, you've got SU football, we have Buffalo Bills football. There's a lot of similarities between these two towns, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. And then that, uh, that is the other component that is actually missing, you know, uh, sports, obviously attending sports, you know, we will be getting ready for basketball season. Football team doesn't look the greatest this year, but they have lots of injuries. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, that, that has been a tough one. So, uh, we'll see, you know, uh, people are heading out watching, watching the games, etc. So maybe it's, uh, maybe it's the Bills, Bills turn to get it done. I have a lot of friends that are Bills fans from Hamburg and, different other places. So uh, uh, it will be great to see him uh, get it on this year. David, thanks for this. Good luck to you. Hang in there during this uh, current challenge. I'm sure you'll come out okay. Thanks very much. You're welcome, Murph. Great, great uh, chatting, chatting to you, and hopefully we'll see you soon. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of our podcast, Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. I really enjoyed our conversation with David Hoyne from Kitty Hoyne's Irish Pub in Syracuse, Armory Square, downtown Syracuse. You know, David and several pub owners and bar owners we've talked to in recent weeks are up against it with all the COVID restrictions on bar occupancy, on people having to buy food. Uh, we wish him well, and all the bar owners that we deal with and the pub owners in the U.S. and in Ireland, where things are getting rough over there as well. COVID's not going away, it appears, and these bar and restaurant owners uh, are struggling, and we wish them well, and especially David Hoyne. Keep them in mind, all of them. We're rooting for all of them. All of us here at Sullivan's Brewing Company, the makers of Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. It's available in the United States in bars and retail stores in Buffalo and upstate New York. In New York City, Long Island, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, Columbus, and Cleveland, Ohio, in Atlanta, Savannah, Georgia, many other places. So our thanks to David Hoy, and our thanks again to Vic Carucci, my friend Vic Carucci of the Buffalo News. Some great insight into the Bills and uh, the NFL. And thanks again to our producer, Pat Feldball. That's it. We'll see you next time right here on Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. You've been listening to John Murphy and the Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's all about the bills and the beer.